Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 219 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. This week, Nick Whitaker, our Director of Research and Trading, is back on the show, sitting in for Matt. So as always, Nick, good to have you. Good to be back. It's been a while. It has. It has. Yeah. Back in the office for the the first time full time this week after working from home for a couple of weeks to help uh, Kenzie with the baby. And uh, yeah, it feels good to, to get back on a normal routine. So, yes, as normal as normal as it can be with, uh, you know, a couple a couple of weeks. Go, week yeah, old, exactly. Right? Yeah, she's four weeks. She's going to be four <laughs> weeks old today at 503. So uh, getting closer and closer to a month under our belt. So, yeah, it's gone by slow and quick, if that makes sense. The, the days when you're in the thick of it, it's just like, oh my gosh, she's been crying for an hour and a half. But at the same time, it's like, man, how has she already been here for a month? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's what they say as you get older. The the days are long, the years go fast, something something like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, as always, uh, we will take the first few minutes to uh, talk about the month-to-date and year-to-date performance of the major market indices that we track. This data is from YCharts, and it is as of uh, September 20th. So S&P 500 is down 2.3% for the month of September and up 14.7% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down point. for the month and up 3.9% for the year. The NASDAQ composite index down 4% for the month, but up 28.7% still for the year. The Russell 2000 small cap index down 4.6% for the month and only up 3.2% for the year. And the Vanguard All World X United States uh, ETF down 1.3% for the month and up 6.3% for the year. Three month Treasury rate sitting at 5.56%, the two year Treasury rate at 5.12%, and the 10 year Treasury rate at 4.35%. So we had a little bit of a bump up in yields, uh, obviously, yesterday, Nick, with uh, the Federal Reserve um, and their press conference, um, they actually left benchmark interest rates unchanged. And the current range right now is five and a quarter percent to five and a half percent. And at the same time, they were signaling that borrowing costs will likely stay higher for longer uh, after potentially one more rate hike this year, which is interesting. So a few tidbits from uh, yesterday's press conference. They said that they're, quote, prepared to raise rates further if appropriate, and we intend to hold policy at a restrictive level until we're confident that inflation is moving down substantially toward our objective, which is 2%. After raising rates rapidly last year, uh, now we're fairly close, we think, to where we need to go, Powell said. Yields on two-year Treasury uh, U.S. government bonds rose after the decision, and the S&P 5 index as many could probably imagine, erased earlier gains and sold off uh, about 1% for the day. Um, 
Lastly, officials also continued to project inflation would fall below 3% at some point next year, and they see it returning to 2% in 2026, which might be a shock to some people, Nick, everyone probably feels like I do when I read that. It's like, whoa, 2026 is seems more than like, two years away. Yeah, it seems like a long way, ways away, yeah. Um, so yeah. I know you're going to have some data here in a little bit for probabilities with rate hikes through the rest of the year in the beginning of next year. So we will leave it there. Yeah, we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more for listeners later with some some research pieces. Right. Uh, first thing I had, Nick, was a article from Adam Turnquist, and he is a CMT at LPL. Uh, the article was titled Breaking Down the Breakout in Oil. So he starts off by saying tightening supply has been a significant driver of crude oil's rally over the last three months. Saudi Arabia, the de facto leader of the organization of the petroleum exporting countries, uh, other no, otherwise known as OPEC, and now more commonly referred to as OPEC Plus, which includes Russia and other non-OPEC oil exporting countries. Uh, They all have voluntarily extended their production cuts of 1 million barrels per day until the end of the year. This means the Saudis will hold output at around 9 million barrels per day, marking the lowest production quota in several years. Russia also voluntarily extended its export reduction of 300,000 barrels per day over the same period. On the demand side of the equation, China continues to import more oil. In August, they imported 52.8 million tons of crude oil, or 12.5 million barrels per day, marking a 21% increase compared to July. In the U.S., implied oil demand reached multi-year highs. So, Nick, Adam and his team uh, looked at the performance of oil after it advanced for nine consecutive days, which just happened, uh, you know, over the last week or two. And what they found was of the seven other periods that registered a nine day winning streak in oil since 1983, and this is WTI, forward returns over the next 12 months have been impressive as WTI gained an average of uh, almost 16.5% and finished higher in all seven periods. So general throw this chart up on the YouTube video and in our show notes for people, but it shows crude oil and the performance uh, after a nine day win streak over a one week period, one month, three months, six months, and 12 months. And a year later, each and every time oil was trading higher. So uh, again, small sample set. Um, so a little caution there, but um, you know, with this data combined with what the the Fed just decided to do and some of their comments, Nick, it kind of makes sense that, hey, they don't think we're totally at the end of this inflationary period and energy makes up a significant amount uh, of inflation prices. So this is something to, to definitely keep an eye on. Could this time be different? Absolutely. Uh, but this looks like a, a pretty strong trend to me. But again, uh, small sample size that people just need to be careful with. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always interesting um, to read to read about the oil space and and everything that's going on there for listeners, which I'm sure most of you are aware of. But uh, the price of oil is is predominantly driven by supply and demand, simple economics, right? Um, and so that's that's really what has sparked this little nine day run here, and and it, and a lot of it just gets down to um, the oil 
producers, whether it be Saudi, Russia, OPEC plus, even in, in, in the US, they make more money when the price of oil is higher. higher so right. by curving the supply and, and saying, hey, let's let's pump a little bit less, then they can help drive the price up and they make a little bit more, more money. So it's kind of it's kind of that fine line for the producers of, you know, you don't want the price to go so high that you curb demand, but at the same time, you don't want to, you know, keep the prices low. And so it's just finding that balance. And so that's, that's one of the reasons for the volatility in the energy space. And you, you, you add in uh, the cyclical nature of the global economic cycle, and that's where you can kind of get all these swings and why, why we have some of this back and forth, but we're in an upswing yeah. right now. So. Yeah, two yeah. final comments on that. Uh, one, so I think everyone should be prepared for a little bit higher uh, prices at the pump when they're filling up their cars. And number two, I think this is a really good example, Nick, of kind of the market sniffing this nine-day streakout or this breakout, if you will, in oil prices. Um, you know, the past couple of months leading up to this, uh, energy stocks had been doing pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. over the summer months. They had a weak start to the year, but over the past three-ish months, they've done pretty well. And then here you have more production cuts, uh, oil is breaking out. So that's just a really good example for listeners or people new to investing of how the market, you know, prices in these things way in advance, right? Yep, um, absolutely. So just wanted to, to throw that out there. Yeah, that's a great point. I was actually looking at market reversion yesterday. And if you look at the market, uh, beginning of the year until let's call it end of, end of July. I used a few different dates, but end of July, you see a lot of strength in your tech, your consumer services, um, some consumer discretionary. But then since the end of July, you've actually seen a little bit more reversion towards the the value sector with with energy outperforming. Energy is the best performer since since July. So to, yeah. to your point, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, Nick, the second thing I had was a quote from Lucien uh, Hooper, who was a former securities analyst uh, who was uh, pretty well respected um, in our industry and in technical analysis specifically. So her quote, which I found was really funny, is whenever you find the key to the market, they change the locks. And what I think my interpretation of this from Lucene is you know, everyone is in the search for that black box of a strategy to implement in the market. And to my knowledge, I think to 99.9% .9 of everybody else's knowledge in our industry, there is no one single strategy that has worked from the market's inception till now that hasn't gone through significant drawdown, significant volatility, significant underperformance. So, if people are trying to chase, you know, beating the market every single year, year in and year out, there's just not a strategy out there that exists or else we wouldn't have the returns that we do in the market each and every year. Um, so, you know, some years are going to have value outperform growth. Some years are going to have international uh, outperform domestic and vice versa. Same scenario with value and growth, sometimes large caps. Small caps and mid caps are going to have different performances over different time horizons and different years. Um, so, you know, I think in the probably the early 
1970s, 1980s, value was really in vogue, right? It was like buy the lowest P ratio stocks. And fast forward to really like 2015 to 2020, you know, you had all of these really high PE stocks were the ones that were outperforming, outperforming the market. So, um, you know, people go back and read books, uh, for example, uh, Benjamin Graham, he was a value investor and they think, oh my gosh, I, you know, you have to invest just like Benjamin Graham. He's super smart. His returns were great, but you also have to take into consideration that that was a different time period. So you always just have to keep your mind open to, uh adjusting strategies and tweaking portfolios based upon the times that you're in Um, because there is no black box strategy that is going to make you do significantly more than all the other investors in the world and the markets Um, so i just thought that this was this was pretty funny because we hear it a lot that uh you know people think it's it's easy to to beat the index and uh obviously in hindsight it is but I think Lucene uh, had a had a really good piece of or tidbit of knowledge for for everybody. Yeah, I'll tell you what, in hindsight, I bet I could beat it every time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's easy. Looking back, it's like, oh, I should have added more international. I should have cut more international, yeah. especially over the past, you know, the past decade. You know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, the place was to be in, in U.S. stocks. But you just yeah. you don't know it's, that until you're past it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and. There will always be stories of black box hedge funds that are outperforming and for X, Y, Z reasons. And just know that often it's short term, it's temporary outperformance. They go through bouts of volatility and and extreme underperformance and extreme outperformance and and all of that. A, a great a great little article or or research for listeners to read into on this topic on black box and these guys thought they had the perfect strategy and it was just gangbusters and then it blew up as uh, Google long-term capital management oh, and, yeah. read, and read about that. And that's kind of what we're talking about here where these guys were these genius mathematicians that had beat the market and broke the market and then it just went south really fast and they had to get a bailout, the whole thing. But read up on that, that'd be an interesting thing if, you're, if you'd like to read more about something uh, yeah, did you um room. did you read that book, Nick, about that? I didn't read a book. Um, I learned about this ooh, a long time ago. Um, I'm <laughs> like, pulling up probably I ten years like ago. A, or something like I keep that. like um, a ticking list of books I read. I think it's it's not Barbarian to the Gate. That was about a different company. Uh, where are we here? I've it was a really it, good book. I watched um, a documentary about it. Um, like I said, a long time ago, but it's definitely uh, if if you're interested in reading about some of those black box hedge funds and what can go wrong. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's uh, a good one to read. It's called When Genius Failed. It's by uh, Robert Lowenstein. Oh, OK, OK. Um, yeah. Yeah, actually, I have it here in my office if, if you ever want to take a peek at that. So, um, yeah, really, really good story that they, they've had the smartest people in the world working for them and, and the, the, the strategy blew up. Right. So um, last thing I had, Nick, was a chart of the VIX on a seasonal basis. And this was from Callum Thomas uh, from Top Down Charts. So Jenna, we'll throw this up for our YouTube viewers. But if you're looking at this chart, Nick, again, for new listeners, the VIX 
is just a volatility gauge of the markets, specifically the S&P 500, right? So when the VIX is moving higher or at high levels relative to its history, you could expect more market weakness. People are getting more defensive, buying more put options, which is bearish. Won't get into that too much uh, uh, today. But um, as you look at this chart, Nick, what do you see? I mean, from January pretty much until July, August, volatility tends to trend down for the first half of the year. But then from about the middle of July, late July until early October, mid-October, volatility tends to increase. Um, so again, this mixed with the weak uh, two-week period that we're in for the S&P 500, the weakest two weeks out of uh, the whole entire year right now, this combined with the VIX tending to increase, volatility tending to increase, would not surprise me again if we get more weakness before we enter Q4. Um, again, do I think it's going to be a strong Q4? Yes, I do. We've talked about that before, but um, right now, if we look at history and use it as our guide, it shouldn't be surprising to us to see increased levels of volatility or minor corrections in the market. So I don't want people to freak out if we get to the end of this two week period, volatility has increased, markets have come in another five or 10%. That would be normal in my opinion. So just wanted to throw that out there as well. Yeah, it's a great point and, uh, and a great chart. And some of my pieces of research are going to assist in making sense of some of that. Um, and and why I agree, I think we'll likely see some more volatility in Q3 and over the next couple of months. And, you know, with that often comes little corrections, swings back and forth. You'll see the market move a little bit more day over day than maybe it has in the past couple of months. So be, be listeners, be prepared for that for the next yeah quarter, three, three months or so. Um, so the first the first piece of research I have is uh, it's it, it was actually I saw it on Twitter. It's a post from Bloomberg Bloomberg Markets, and it uh, just said a, a big week for central banking. Um, and there's a chart that we'll throw up this week, or that, there's a chart that we'll throw up that shows all the different central bank rate decisions this week across the world. Uh, and uh, the quote that they put up was a 36 hour rush of global monetary decisions may set the tone for the rest of the year as the world adjusts to a U.S. push to keep interest rates high. Advanced economy, uh, advanced economy central banks accounting for six of the 10 most traded currencies may draw particular focus as global policymakers adapt to the theme U.S. officials set out at Jackson Hole in August that rates are likely going to stay higher for longer. So the rates obviously uh, unchanged yesterday, but they did signal that we're going to be higher for longer. We don't see inflation coming. We see inflation coming down uh, around 2% in 2026. So there's certainly some, um, some I don't want to call it confusion, but there's people who disagree with that. Um, I would say there's people on both sides of the coin where some people think inflation is going to come in way quicker. Uh, and then some people are forecasting rate cuts uh, as early as next year, and some people think that we won't cut um, until you know twenty late twenty twenty four. Um, so we'll see we'll see what happens. But just uh, another big kind of moment in the markets right now with all these central bank uh, hikes 
you know, you just saw showed that chart on volatility where we are seasonality. So I think a lot of this is just setting up um, for for a little bit more uh, back and forth. But I don't right. know if you have yeah. anything to add there. Yeah, and the only thing I have to add is that um, I was looking in this morning, the ECB or the European Central Bank also held rates steady where they were uh, following uh, the Fed yesterday. So it just it, it matters a lot more now, I think, than it did historically in the past with just globalization in general, what other central banks are doing uh, just because of how interconnected all of these countries are. Right. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think inflation is still actually significantly higher in Europe than than it is here in the U.S. So um, interesting that they that they held uh, rates steady as well. Yep. Um, and my next piece of research is just some more comments on on rates. And this is uh, a tweet from ooh, I'm going to struggle with this name. Uh, Gunjan Benerji. That's how I would have said it. All right. Um, sorry, Gijan, if I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, the the quote is the following. It's uh, it's actually a snippet from Goldman Sachs research, and it says Goldman on interest rate cuts in 2024. We see cuts as optional because our analysis suggests that most of the impact of higher interest rates is behind us, meaning that the economy does not need cuts to avoid recession. Still, if inflation continues to move towards the target as we expect. We suspect that most Fed officials will think it is appropriate to slowly lower the funds rate from a level that we see as quite restrictive. Um, so just in summary, Goldman thinks the Fed is done hiking and that they will not have to cut rates until 2024, sometime in in the first the end of the first quarter, um, unless something drastically changes with the growth out. out outcome you know if gdp comes in 20 you percent know, under expectations then they they would acknowledge that um their forecasts are wrong yeah yeah um, exactly yeah it's interesting because if you look i know you included some target yeah. rate probabilities and if you look at the end of q1 for march of next year um still a 50 percent chance that the fed is still at five and a quarter to five and a half uh, and even a 35% chance that we're going to be slightly higher at 5.5% to 5.75%. So uh, interesting to see Goldman's opinion on that and kind of where where they see things going. Yeah, so I, I I put some notes here, just a bunch of charts, and we can throw up a couple for, for listeners. Um, and I just wanted to talk through these just to give listeners an understanding of where the market is from a, a, a rate perspective, because I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, 50% of the market is in the same spot, which means 50% of the market is thinking otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. So 73% of the market thinks that at, at the November meeting, there'll be no change. So the market majority, everyone's pretty much on the same page for November. But once we get into projections for December and beyond, it's about 50%. Uh, is is on on the same page and the other 50 percent is, is dispersed so uh, in december we have 50 percent thinking 54 percent we're going to be precise uh thinking that uh the rates are going to stay unchanged unchanged at 50 percent unchanged in january 50 percent unchanged in march and then in march is the first time we see seven percent of the market forecasting a decrease in in rates 
Um, so the reason I bring bring this up and I thought it was a timely uh, research piece is just to kind of bring all this together and you know combined with your chart, combined with what we talked about, energy moving higher, expects volatility. Um, anytime you have the market, anytime the market doesn't have a really clear picture as to what direction we're going with the Fed, expect a little bit of sector rotation, a little bit in and out, um, some choppy trades. That's that's the market that we're going to be in um, most likely throughout the end of the year. We'll get some more uh, data, um, obviously, obviously, throughout the next couple of months, and then the Fed will come back and speak again in November. So that will be um, an interesting um, time to see if they can kind of clear that picture up, if you know the, the economic data is still looking really good. Uh, you could get a little bit of a, a bump, um, but we'll see. So, yeah, it's interesting. I saw a tweet by Charlie Bellello the other day, Nick, and and he said the mark, and this was on September nineteenth, so the day before uh, yesterday, which was the day before the Fed meeting. And he said that the market is pricing in a ninety nine percent probability of a pause heading into tomorrow's FOMC uh, meeting, Federal Open Market Committee meeting. Uh, in every meeting since 2009, the Fed has done exactly what the market was expecting it to do. Not a single surprise. So um, I know these are target rate probabilities, but it's been spot on for the majority uh, every single time of, of what the Fed has has done. And I'm sure there's going to be a time where they surprise the market. Um, but uh, that's why we do put a little more weight into this is, uh, you know, there haven't really been much or many surprises since 2000 or any surprises, I guess, since 2009. Yeah, and these and these probabilities will shift drastically from now until mm-hmm. you know the end of the year. And they do. They shift drastically, uh, sometimes day over day, depending on the news that comes out or you know, Fed speak, et cetera, et cetera. But um, just interesting to point out that that's where we are right now is the market's about 50-50. We think we're going to 50% thinks we're going to kind of hang in this range and, and not make any changes until March. Um, the other 50% is unsure, either either hiking more or or taking one down. Um, so we'll, we'll see what uh, what comes in the uh, in the future with economic data and see how that tweaks things. The last piece of research I have for listeners is a Bloomberg article on bearish strategists raising their forecasts. Uh, I, I saw this one uh, over the weekend and I read it and I found it I found it interesting um, and just wanted to, to kind of point out a couple of things. So the title of the article is uh, Wall Street comes to grips with how wrong it's been in 2023. Uh, and I'm going to read. Uh, some things and I'll kind of talk through the article. It's a it's not a super long article, but it's a little a little lengthier and I won't I won't uh, you know read the whole thing to you guys. But um, stock market strategists who were largely wrong about this year's rally are finally starting to come out and face their mistakes, raising year end targets for the S and P 500. So uh, Society General, um, uh, Piper Sandler. P uh, PNB, Paribas, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup have all raised their forecasts. There's a whole slew uh, across the street that have raised their forecasts. So, um, you know, the most bearish of those were, I think, Piper and BNP, who had uh, at the beginning of the year they were forecasting uh, the SP finishing at 3225 and 3400 respectively. 
Um, so that just shows you how low the range was. Um, Society General, for example, they were uh, their original call was 3,800. Um, and last week they raised their year in target to 4,750. Um, so pretty significant difference there. Um, yeah, that's I mean, that's way lower than, you know, from where we are right now down to like. 3,400 is more than 20% yeah. from where we are lower today. And mm -hmm. I think it's just, you know, now that people are talking about this and they're revising their price targets upward, Nick, it's funny that at the same time we're going through a market pullback right now. So it's like they can't, they can't seem to win this year. And in my opinion, every year, that's why, you know, me and Matt have talked about this all the time, you know, on the podcast is, you know, targets, year end targets are, are just stupid. Yeah, I mean, and this is not th this article is not setting out to you know bash these guys. It's incredibly hard to do what these guys do, and they have to yeah. do it right. That's their mm -hmm. job. Pick a number, right? That's they have to they have to do it. Um, I, the the main point of this article is just to kind of show that hey, the bears have been forced to raise their targets enough to basically admit that they were at least wrong on the timing, right? So another um, notable bear uh, was, uh, an, I should say, is Morgan Stanley's uh, Mike Wilson. Uh, he conceded in July that he was pessimistic for too long, though he still sees U.S. stocks falling more than 10% before the year is out. So, you know, even more than 10% before the year is out, that's still a pretty drastic swing. So um, it, it just, the article acknowledges that you know, obviously these guys are raising their forecast, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're bulls yet. Um, it says strategists broadly forecast the market downturn in 2024, even a amount that the U.S. economy may avoid a recession. The rate of inflation has cooled overall. Retail sales remain strong and the Federal Reserve is expected to hold interest rates steady this week, which it did. Uh, for investors with money on the line, the gloom on Wall Street creates a dilemma. It's a reminder that the Fed's effort to tame inflation still threatened the economy. At the same time, stocks overcame the same threats in 2023. And now, with corporate America's improving profit outlook and the Fed itself seeing no signs of a recession, some market watchers are concluding that the bears are going to be wrong again. And that little synopsis is the main was one of the main reasons I wanted to, to talk about this um, is that whole dilemma side of things if you were to jump on ship with the bears at the beginning of 2023 then that would have been unfortunate right mm -hmm. so uh, it's it's always good we've talked about this all the time stick with your long-term strategy talk to your advisors um, you know understand what's going on but don't panic take appropriate action if you think it, it, a change is needed but it's all about the long-term strategy there's always going to be these these times in the market, and um, and there's there's people on both sides of the of the coin. You know, we talked about you know the 50% with where we think the the Fed's going to go. We talked about um, you know the Fed talking about inflation coming down in 2026. There are people who think it's going to come down way sooner than that, uh, mm -hmm. as as early as the end of 2024. Uh, so there's still still a lot um, a lot to be digested. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of a lot of interest rate talk, uh, obviously, this week, Nick, and uh, markets continue to be pretty weak here at the open. Um, S&P 500 is down uh, about 0.8% uh, so far today. So um, obviously, uh, market not quite liking what the Fed had to say. But again, we have to remember we are in this seasonal period where we expect market weakness. So yeah, and I, and I think the Fed the Fed does that to some degree where they'll they might you know historically they give the market what the market wants, i.e. whatever rate change is expected in this case, no change. But they'll also come back and and they they typically have some language that the market that kind of spooks the market a little bit. So one of the things that stuck out to me from from Powell was uh, him talking about um, a soft landing and that he doesn't see a soft landing. Uh, let me find that. I had it somewhere. Yeah, I remember you you had it in here that he didn't he didn't necessarily say that the goal was a soft landing. Right. 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 So, you know, whenever we when you hear that, you're going to that's the market doesn't want to hear that, right? <laughs> right. So there's always going to be little things like that and they I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen those where uh, the research pieces where they'll take the entire Fed release and then they'll go through and analyze what words are different from the previous one, like down to like a little phrase of like, oh, this tiny four word sentence was redacted and the market will analyze that. I mean, they really, really focus a lot on the language and I mean, just saying something about you know, it might not be a soft landing. The market's like, whoa. So right, it doesn't shock me that we're we're down a little bit today. I'd I'd expect some some weakness um, following that. Yeah, following some sure. of his comments. For sure. So. Um, well, we're bumping up against time, Nick. So I'm going to uh, skip over the financial planning topic of the week. Uh, I will talk about that. Uh, next week, it's about saving for a house, given uh, the current market environment with interest rates that we're in. Um, I think this is a, a timely uh, discussion to have just because, you know, I, you know, you're a homeowner, Nick, I'm a homeowner. But, you know, when you go to save for a house, people are just like, oh, I need just the amount for the down payment, number one. And number two, I just have to be able to pay my mortgage. And that's kind of it. And there's a lot more, uh, you know hidden costs, if you will, or costs that a lot of people don't think about that they need to, to be able to afford and to, to save for. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit next week. But before we sign off, Nick, anything else that you want to leave listeners with? No, no. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And listeners, thanks for listening to me talk about rates for 40 minutes. So. <laughs> Yeah, it was a big topic of discussion today. So uh, just a, a whole uh, smorgasbord of, of rate discussion. But uh, I think it's prudent just given the environment that we're in. So um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to episode 219 of the Independent Advisors podcast. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of the week. And we will be back with you for episode 220 next week.
Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.